We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Packaday Podcast. You can get all your Packaday updates by following us on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. And remember, you can always subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, you can check us out over at CheeseheadTV.com. I'm Kyle Fellows, and I am here with my co-host, Andrew Mertig. Andrew, welcome. It is good to be back for another Friday edition of the podcast. Yeah, it is great to be back as always, Kyle. The the Packers, of course, won that thriller against Carolina on Sunday, and there was a moment of that game where I just kind of looked up at the snow globe that Lambeau had become and thought, yeah, this is pretty much Nirvana. And <laughs> you mentioned it earlier this week. It's really weird not to be breaking down an upcoming game this week. But I think we have some really cool things to talk about in reflecting how Green Bay got to where they are this season. Yeah, absolutely. And I I was a little bit jealous when I saw the pictures of Lambeau this week, and it was so cool to be there just a couple weeks ago. But man, I would imagine uh, that when that field is just covered in, in snow, that's just a totally different experience to be there for that. Yeah, it was it was super cool. Um, I don't know if they mentioned this on the TV broadcast, but they had parachuters landing at halftime, which was <laughs> some of the most nervous I have ever been at the stadium. Right. Like even in important games, like there's people parachuting out of the sky in like whiteout conditions coming into a stadium that you couldn't see until they got like to the top of the bowl. It, it was incredible. And kind since you were a cool performance. 
Since we're there, you did see. Yeah, I was gonna say it looked like some of them didn't land as well as maybe they had planned. So no, uh, and these are professionals who oftentimes stick the landing. Um, wow! And yeah. one of them actually blew into. I think it was the northeast corner end zone padding. Uh, thankfully for all involved, hit the padding pretty lightly and under control, and the parachute might have landed in the stands, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, fortunately for all fans and for our uh, parachuter, all was well. Good, good. Um, well, the Packers will be certainly uh, using some extra time this week to look forward to their uh, next opponent to make sure that they've got that extra preparation in for that big game in San Fran on the 24th. Uh, but not us here today. Andrew and I are going to be taking the bye week to not look ahead, but to look backwards. Uh, we want to take a look at this past offseason and how many moves uh, that Brian Gutekunst made uh, to turn this team around, really. And that certainly means that we'll be talking about the NFL draft. And then, of course, the Packers had one of the busiest free agency periods in recent history. So uh, we've got all that to get into today. But let's get started with the draft and the Packers 2019 class. Yeah, and it's really crazy to think. You mentioned the turnaround. The Packers could go 500 the rest of the way and come out with 11 wins. That that that's incredible. It's insane. Um, and, and you know, hopefully they don't. Hopefully, hopefully they they do better than that. But a lot has to be attributed to this draft class. And I'm almost positive it was you that told me uh, it's going to be really hard to get excited for future drafts as much as this past year's because. Um, Having two first-round picks, having the 12th overall pick, um, having free agency that really filled a lot of the holes on the roster and gave Brian Gutekunst a chance to really just shoot his shot, it was exciting. It was dramatic. It gave us a lot more players to be looking at, especially higher in the draft than we're normally looking. And so it was great. And I, I'm loving going back and reviewing this. And, and like you said, it may be hard to get as excited for the 2020 draft. Yeah, it may be a while before we have a, an offseason quite like this with the dollar amounts flying around that we saw and with the draft picks that we had and those kinds of things. Um, and it is kind of interesting that we get sucked into the season so much that we forget that just a couple months ago uh, we had all those fireworks and how much this team is so different because of the moves that were made. And so it's good to take a look back and see how all of that is affecting the present here as we're enjoying uh, this great run that the Packers are on. But uh, for years, the Packers um, and you Really, Packers fans have been calling for more activity in free agency. And boy, did they finally get it this year. Um, but really, the draft has always been the Packers' bread and butter. And especially with having those two first-round selections, it was even more important that Gutekunst hit on this draft class. But as we get into this, I really think it's kind of important to throw out a disclaimer that we're going to be making some observations about these really, really young players. These are guys who've played half of a rookie season. So uh, these are just really, really early observations. These are players um, that have years and years of development ahead of them. Um, but as fun as it is to see what kind of an impact uh, these guys could have later in their careers as they develop, uh, we want to see what they've done this year. So let's start here. Um, Andrew, who has made the biggest impact from this 2019 rookie class for the Packers? At, at this point in time, who would you say uh, is the Packers' best pick in the 2019 draft? 
Yeah, and I will apologize in advance for choosing the obvious answer here, but for me, it's Elton Jenkins. He was a guy who was a little off my radar because I actually thought he was so good at center that an NFL team would would not want to move him to guard. I was definitely wrong about that, and since Green Bay gave him the starting job at left guard, he has been phenomenal. People have mentioned him as a potential offensive rookie of the year. First of all, he's not going to win that award. No, no interior <laughs> offensive lineman is going to have a chance at that. But he does have a real chance to make the Pro Bowl. He's been that good. And he's been so good, so fast, that you have to start thinking ahead to all the all-pro teams and get a little carried away. But I'm not sure you could expect anything more out of Elton. And he certainly looks to be a key building block in that line going forward. I agree with everything that you just said, but what is so interesting to me is that you said that you were going with the obvious choice in Elton Jenkins when I think he was anything from an but that when we entered the season, uh, which I just think speaks to the incredible impact that he's had. And you expect any young player to have ups and downs as they learn. That's really acceptable from rookie players. They have to learn their position. They have to learn their team in the league. Uh, but Jenkins really hasn't even shown many moments that he's looked like a rookie out there. He's really looked like a solid veteran out there as well. And uh, Darnell Savage, I guess if, if he'd stayed healthy and not missed time, maybe we'd be talking about him in this conversation but I agree with Andrew that Elton Jenkins is the only correct answer here and he's been a really really nice surprise to have this season Uh, but speaking of surprises our next category is to talk about a player from this draft class that has surprised us Uh, maybe they're a different player than we thought that we were going to be getting maybe they're performing at a different level than we thought that they would be but Andrew who is your biggest surprise from this 2019 class I'm actually going to go to Rashawn Gary, and that is not to say, you know, I'm I'm not actually disappointed in his performance so far. I think he's been about as good as I would have expected. In fact, he's not really making a lot of mistakes or, or any mistakes, which is a big surprise for any rookie. But certainly the impact plays are sorely missing. And I would expect a guy with Gary's athleticism to sort of walk into a few sacks on either like blown blocking assignments or catching a tackle a step slow. And that just really hasn't been there at all. I I still really like the pick. I do. And I think some of the other stuff is going to come down the line. Um, But I'm going to talk about that a little bit more later on. Yeah, sounds good. There definitely are all the pieces um, are present there with Gary. And so we'll just hope uh, to see him progress as we get into the season. But I don't want this to sound too critical because it is so, so early in these guys' career, like I said. But for me, one of the biggest surprises has been that Dexter Williams uh, has not really taken hold of the Packers running back three job. Green Bay was obviously hesitant to trust Dexter early in the season, and we saw Trey Carson being used over Dexter Williams. Obviously, the Packers see something in Williams, and his physical talent is really, really fun, but I really expected that he would be getting some touches at this point in the season, and there were people who thought that he might surpass Jamal as the Packers' second running back, and obviously this season, and the way that Coach LaFleur has used Jamal Williams has just remind us how good number 30 is. He's a special, special player in his own right. Uh, but for me, I'm still surprised that Dexter Williams hasn't found his way to any meaningful snaps to speak of. And so I'm curious if that can change over the next couple of weeks as we approach the end of the season. And when the Packers are really hopefully managing the workloads of guys like Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, as the Packers plan towards these playoffs, the Packers fans very much expect to be a part 
of. But Andrew, my next question for you from this 2019 draft class, who do you think makes the biggest jump in this late part of the season? Yeah, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. One thing that I just wanted to mention, I, I think it will be very telling if there is any point in these next six games or even in the playoffs that Jamal uh, Williams or Aaron Jones has to miss any time, if Dexter Williams is the call-up or if they're going to try to jump on a, a veteran free agent that's hanging out there. Um, it's incredible that those two have been as healthy as they have been so far. Um especially since the Packers are really kind of just going with two running backs and that Trey Carson game was kind of the exception, but man, there's not a lot of depth there. And so hopefully Dexter is learning all of the things that have been sort of uh, keeping him off the field so far. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually looking at some stats just yesterday and I noticed like just kind of look at some other stuff that Aaron Jones played 12 games in 2017 and 12 games in 2018 and obviously I think a suspension was a part of that you know but um, we're at 10 games you know and, and we're in a good place going forward and we hope that that health continues but um, you know that Brian Gutekunst is kind of like looking at the back end of this roster trying to figure out what he can do to be sure uh, that injuries don't significantly impact where this team can go and like you said it will be interesting to see if they think that Dexter Williams can be that guy if push comes to shove or if another guy will be called upon but we'll just have to wait and see and hopefully that occasion will not arise and these guys will continue to find uh good health throughout the season but uh let's talk about uh your biggest jump player here yeah so you asked the big, biggest jump um I, i'm actually gonna go with rashawn gary again and <laughs> that is because yes he's been a little disappointing um but pass rushers take time to develop especially guys who aren't regular starters there's a reason why Nick Bosa went number two overall, because he was the rare edge prospect who was NFL ready right away. I mean, people just don't have those like Javon curse rookie seasons more than once in a generation. Gary has been learning behind the Smiths and taking things in. I'm impressed with his patience to take on the blocker and not give up those rushing lanes. So before when I said he wasn't making a lot of mistakes, that's what I meant. He He's a sound rusher. If I had the kind of speed and explosiveness of Rashawn, I would probably try to cheat to the outside on every play and get burnt all the time uh, because I'd be trying to play hero ball, a.k.a. Clay Matthews last two years. <laughs> and he's really just showing a maturity in that portion of the game. And I've really liked his hustle, his work ethic, things that we sort of questioned the night of the yeah. draft. But then clearly yeah. after some tape reviews saw that those things were there, the the motor, the the uh, work ethic. Now it's time to put together the second half of the equation. I To really set up that tackler guard for the second move to start to show up with, you know, those tackles for losses, the pressures, the sacks. He's got the skill set to do it. And it may take him a couple of years to get there. You know, if you look at the career arcs for Preston and Zadarius Smith as examples, you can see sometimes it takes a little while for these guys to put it together. But I think he starts to do just that and start to make a few impact plays in the second half, which could really take this defense to the next level. Yeah, I think a really nice thing about Rashawn Gary that I think is getting overlooked a little bit, and obviously um, his development is taking some time, and there's a reason that like he's not getting snaps because we have such great players in front of him uh, that are kind of like blocking his way. But it's really, really nice 
that when Preston or Zadarius need a snap off, you know that you're probably not going to get the same pass rush from Rashawn Gary, but you know he's going to hold up really well in the running game, and that's not going to be a liability when you take one of those guys off the field and you throw uh, throw Gary out there. So he's got a long way to go to become the, the player that he can be, but I think it's nice to have him just as a run player um, at this point in his career as well. And did you hear that Mike Smith quote about Kyler Fackrell? I thought of you immediately when I read that quote. How do you feel about that quote, Andrew? I died a little inside. (laughs) 31 other teams? You think he would be the starting edge in Los Angeles for the Chargers? I mean, Come on, uh, Mike Smith. <laughs> Come on. Oh, that's a that's a hard one to to defend unless, you know, maybe Gudikins is already in his ear just trying to say, "Hey man, we we need that comp pick. We need somebody to sign this guy for some dollars, you know." <laughs> I I did I did say last week like I've been really impressed with Kyler Fackrell so far this season. He's he's been much quieter than last year. He's not super Fackrell or Sackrell or whatever people are calling him. <laughs> but um He's been really sound and and just great in that rotation. I you know there's there's some formations where they're throwing out three or four uh, edge rushers at a time, and and Fackrell's been doing a nice job inside outside. Obviously, he made the big play on the goal line stand of Christian McCaffrey. Some of that was some like horrible pre snap confusion by Green Bay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. was like walking around trying to get to the spot. <laughs> And I think he caught the guard off. Yeah. Uh, caught them off guard. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was trying to avoid saying. But yeah, that's exactly it. He caught them off guard, and uh, Kyler showed that quickness yeah. right there. You know, so it, it's not enough just to to you know sort of catch them by surprise that all of a sudden you, there's a player in front of them, but to have the quickness to do that and the strength to hang on to McCaffrey as his offensive lineman is trying to drag him into the end zone. Pretty impressive stuff. So give Kyler a little bit of kudos, but you know, most of it's just, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We'll, uh, we'll just continue with the, so, the praise for Kyler Fackrell. So who is your uh, biggest jump for the second half of the season? Okay, so I'm really tempted to say Darnell Savage here, and I really do think that these last six weeks are going to be huge for him. But the guy that I think we'll see developing more and more each week is Jay Sternberger. Uh, He did some really nice things in limited snaps last week, and I think the Packers are going to find creative ways to get him on the field and get him involved in the game. And especially with Mercedes Lewis and Jimmy Graham not guaranteed back next season, I think the Packers will want to see what they have in Sternberger. I know that like this is not a season where the Packers are planning for the future just to see what they have, but when you spend a top you know, three-round pick on a player, that guy is going to find time on the field. And with the extra week to prepare for the Niners, it wouldn't shock me if they drew up some stuff for Sternberger, as there won't be a ton of tape on him and how the Packers have used him in the past. Uh, but I'm expecting a nice progression from him, uh, the new number 87 in Green Bay over these next several games but now it's time for one of andrew's pet peeves and everyone on twitter's favorite pastimes playing what if with the nfl draft uh and hindsight is always 2020 but we all like to look at what woulda coulda shoulda happened in a given draft so let's talk about an alternate universe here for just a few minutes and talk about some things that could have happened a little bit differently this spring in the nfl draft 
if I wasn't so lazy, I would edit in some game show music for this. You know, like, <laughs> what if with the NFL draft? Um, and so full transparency to all listeners, this was my idea, even though I despise um, when people do this. But, you know, people are, are going to say who should have drafted this guy over that one. Like there's the Rashawn Gary over Brian Burns. And, and that's totally fine to critique. They play the same position. Burns was available. Whatever. If you want to hold on to that, that's cool. But just because wide receiver Terry McLaurin was drafted just after Sternberger doesn't mean that, you know, he would have been the pick there. He's been really good in Washington, but I only knew one Packers draft expert who was really in on McLaren uh, during the draft process. I certainly didn't want Green Bay to take a flyer on a college backup who didn't look like he had the route running chops to succeed in the NFL. And obviously I'm wrong here, but there were a lot of people that were. The The point is we still don't know enough about this draft class to judge it, but I thought it would be fun to point out what our alternative draft class would have been to just show how good or maybe how bad things could have been. So if it was me drafting, knowing which players were available during the actual draft in the first round at number 12 overall, I would have drafted wide receiver DK Metcalf because I had him as my number five prospect in the whole draft. So I would have been giddy with him at 12. Certainly the NFL really saw something they didn't like as much because he lasted until the end of the second round. And he's been really good so far in Seattle. So this might not have been a terrible pick, but the Packers would not have the depth at edge that I thought they should have had. So we just got done praising Rashawn Gary for being solid there. And so you take that away. But you had a dynamic second receiver. Maybe that's worth it. You know, at 21, knowing what we know, uh, I can't undo that trade because it would cause too much of the butterfly effect here. But if we're just going to say the Packers traded up to 21, if it was my pick, I would have taken Edge Montez Sweat, who ended up in Washington. Now, the Packers have the edge and the wide receiver covered, but no safety, because remember, we're not getting Darnell Savage in this situation. In the second round, I would have drafted cornerback Greedy Williams instead of Elton Jenkins. And, you know, obviously Jenkins is a star in the making at guard. Greedy, meanwhile, would probably be buried behind Jair and Kevin King. I'm not sure he would have been able to take snaps away from Tremont in the slot. So the depth at cornerback would be fantastic in this situation, but not sure everyone would be able to see the field enough to make it worth it. And now we have created a hole at guard. In the third round, I would have drafted edge Chase Winovich instead of Jay Sternberger. He has been really good for New England, but probably, you know, in this scenario is going to be the fourth or fifth edge for the Packers, which seemed like a great idea back at draft time, not knowing what we had in the Smiths and not knowing that Kyler Fackrell would be able to have another good season. And so suddenly we have a lot of edge players. So I got all the guys I was hoping for. And I think that draft would be full of impact players. However, my Packers roster would have a huge hole at left guard and safety. And also, we'd still be looking for that tight end of the future. So my point is, it is great to play the what-if game. People can't believe wide receiver two wasn't addressed in the offseason. But what is the cost if they had addressed it? In my opinion, Brian Gutekunst did a phenomenal job of plugging as many holes on this roster as was possible with the resources that he actually had. Yeah, it's really fun to look back. And uh, a class of Metcalf and Sweat and Greedy and Winovich would have been pretty solid, Andrew. I haven't paid a ton, to, a ton of attention to Greedy Williams' transition to the league, but I would take those other guys in a heartbeat. 
Um, I remember we disagreed pretty well on Metcalf in the lead up to the draft. So it'll be interesting to see how his career goes up in Seattle. Uh, For me, I would have taken Brian Burns over Rashawn Gary and was just heartbroken on draft night when that happened. But I've really come around on Rashawn and, you know, excited to see his career in Green Bay. Uh, Juan Thornhill would have been my pick over Darnell Savage in round one. And I was pretty frustrated Green Bay took Elton Jenkins over A.J. Brown in the second round. Obviously, that sounds really, really stupid right now. And I would have made the same pick of Jay Sternberger in the third round. I really like that one. But the reality is that we know next to nothing about how these players' careers are going to go. I think the Packers' 2019 class is off to a great start and looks super promising. Uh, But the reality is that lots of people thought Lamar Jackson was bad, like, six months ago. There were people who thought the Packers should trade Aaron Rodgers in future first to Cleveland for Baker Mayfield. Uh, So the reality is we really can't know what's ahead for these Packers rookies. But for the most part, all signs are good. And it really does, like Andrew said, look like Brian Gutekunst did a really nice job with his second rookie class. And they have been a huge reason for the success that this team has had this season. But the draft was only part of the fun that we had this spring. We had free agency as well. And Gutekunst obviously did so much uh, spending on some big name players. And these are guys who have come in and in for the most part, they've earned those big paychecks that they've received. But Andrew, where should we start when we talk about these free agents? Uh, who do you want to talk about first? Well, I think it makes sense to start with the Smiths, and everybody knows the impact that these two have had on the pass rush, on the defense overall, and it's been wonderful. But it is interesting to sort of rewind back to right before free agency started. I know you and I did several off-season podcasts where we simulated the off-season and took a look at different players that were available, and I wanted to look at the big-priced edge rushers that ended up signing this offseason and where Green Bay in theory could have been. We know Trey Flowers ended up in Detroit and he had a five-year $90 million deal. Uh, Justin Houston uh, signed a two-year $24 million deal. Ziggy Ansah signed a one-year $9 million deal. And then, you know, Zedaria Smith ends up with a four-year $66 million contract. So let's just average this out. This is not how NFL contracts work. You can't just divide years by salary, but we'll pretend because it gives <laughs> us a nice round number for average. So Trey Flowers is $22.5 million a year. He's 26, so very young. Uh, Zadarius Smith, the average is $16.5 million, and he's 27. So they're roughly the same age. Zadarius signed for $6 million less than Trey Flowers a year. Right. And obviously the sign bonus for Trey Flowers was gigantic. But uh, so far, Trey Flowers has three more tackles on the year and three and a half less sacks. And I don't think that there's anybody who's going to stick their neck out and say that Trey Flowers has been more impactful than Zadarius Smith at this point. So that seems like a phenomenal value. Ziggy Ansah barely played this season. He has 10 tackles, one sack, kind of continuing this this history of being injured all the time. And he's 30 years old. I had no clue. No clue. I still thought Ziggy Ansah was very young. But so he's old, still injury (laughs) problems going on in his career. An old 30, which is laughable to both of us. But um, so, 
you know, for that $9 million salary for this year certainly didn't pan out for Seattle. Justin Houston, meanwhile, kind of the closest to this bunch. He has 27 tackles, which is six less than Zedarius, uh, and seven sacks, so one and a half less than Z. And he's on a, a smaller salary. But again, Justin Houston is 30 years old. So this is not a long-term solution in Indy. Um, but Houston's performed admirably. But by by any account, Zadarius has been a very good value for the contract that he has signed. He's looked really good. I know you're going to talk about Preston Smith, but I just wanted to mention this. So Preston Smith, four years, $52 million, right? That's a pretty good contract. Uh, actually, kind of significantly less than Zedarius, uh, $14 million in total uh, if both of them play out those four years. Anthony Barr, after rejecting the Jets, signs with the Vikings for five years, $67.5 million. Colossal contract. And yes, they play different positions. But I just wanted to point this out. Anthony Barr has seven tackles more than Preston. He has eight and a half less sacks. And again, Anthony Barr playing mostly inside or off ball linebacker, not edge. But here's the funny thing. Anthony Barr has five passes defensed on the season, no interceptions, one forced fumble. Preston Smith has four passes defensed, one interception, and one forced fumble. So Preston is having a sneaky good year in pass coverage at edge, <laughs> as well as being a major force moving towards the quarterback. So um, I, I thought that was kind of an interesting nugget in evaluating some of the free agents from this past year. Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting to look at that price of impact as you kind of like just laid all this out there. And it's, it is really interesting to see uh, what teams paid what and what team what players are producing at what level. Um, but I get to talk about the other pass rusher that the Packers acquired this spring. And that, of course, is Preston Smith. And before we get into that anymore, uh, I just think it's really interesting that after these signings were made, a lot of people were looking at the contracts to see what year the outs were, you know, to see like, you know, this is a lot of money that the Packers sunk into these two positions. And kind of, I think some people were thinking, you know, Zedarius is the long-term plan and maybe Preston Smith is a Band-Aid that can play like two years and then like we would move on and get out of that contract if he's not producing. But man, oh man, like none of these guys that have been signed are, are people that you're going to want to move on from. The Packers are very happy with the money that they've assigned to these players and what they're getting out of them. So very, very cool to see that uh, coming out of free agency and the impact that's been made by these guys. But I believe it was Coach Pettin, um, but it might have also been outside linebackers coach Mike Smith, who said that the Packers thought that they might get one of these guys, but that they had no idea that they'd be lucky enough to land them both. And my goodness, what a difference it has made. And so uh, it's interesting to me that both of these guys are clearly playing the best football of their career on these new deals. And you don't always see that. Both of these players were good when they were in Baltimore and when they were in Washington. Both obviously good enough to command the payday that they received. But they really are earning every dollar of their contracts and have absolutely made a huge difference for this team. But Preston Smith is absolutely enjoying a career year. He never had more than eight sacks in his four seasons in Washington. And of course, we know that Preston Smith 
reached his 10th sack of the season this past week. So he's already having his best statistical season, but he also has another six games to add to that total. And I don't know the numbers on this. I tried to look quickly, but I would wager that most of Preston's sacks have come in critical third down situations. Someone can correct me on that if I'm if I'm off, but I would guess that a good portion of them have been. And so it's not only these statistics that we see. 10 sacks is really, really impressive, but those sacks are coming in crucial situations as well. Uh, and so it's just been great to see um, the dollar amount translate into production on the field. But let's talk about another piece that the Packers added. Uh, how's Adrian Amos's season gone thus far, Andrew? Yeah, Amos has been really solid. Uh, I don't think anybody would consider his game spectacular, um, but his performance has been incredibly impactful. And and really, that's what we expected. And most people think paying him what the Packers did for, you know, quote unquote, solid play is a drastic overpay. But he has been a key cog in that defense. He's a assignment sure, he's a sure tackler, and he makes sure to cover all, uh, you know, some of the other players' mistakes. So he's the kind of player that's going to, you know, fix what's going wrong on the back end. The early season improvement is as much to do with his work on that back end as the Smiths rushing the passer. For the Packers to make a run in the playoffs, they're going to have to rely on Amos to do not only what he's done so far this season, but really raise his game a little bit further. Maybe squeeze that interception that he had the chance uh, on Sunday and not rely on it to deflect perfectly into Tremont's arms. But it is so nice to have a player that can be counted on at safety after what was pretty much a catastrophe at the position in the last couple of years. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that you're, you know, absolutely right that Adrian Amos probably isn't the flashiest player and maybe wasn't even the flashiest player when they, the Packers signed him. But you just don't see as many blown coverages. And it seems like things are, like you said, very much more assignment sure um, on that back end, which is a nice uh, change of pace for the last couple of years that we've had back there. But um, Billy Turner was the other guy that we need to talk about here. Um, this was the most surprising signing to me this spring. I just didn't think the Packers would spend big on an interior player. And, you know, he heard all the ideas that, you know, maybe Turner is the right tackle of the future. But all signs uh, look like he's meant to be playing inside. And he's been okay there. But if we're talking about his run blocking, then I think we can talk and, and have some really big praise for Billy Turner. Uh, but... I would say if we're talking about his pass blocking, it's been kind of a struggle. And that's, I think, what we need to talk about here is a little bit. There's a couple of highlight whiffs in pass blocking that make you cringe a little bit. Um, according to Pro Football Focus, there are only about a dozen starting guards in the league with a lower pass blocking grade than Turner right now. Uh, now, that said, he's playing around guys like Corey Lindsley and Brian Balaga, which really helps out in pass protection as far as what you feel on the field. But you would hope that that would also help him is in, in his assignments as well. Uh, but Turner has been a huge asset in the running game, uh, but also a liability in protecting Rodgers. But LaFleur places such a huge emphasis on running the ball that he might be okay with some of those limitations that he brings uh, to just have that impact in the running game. But I would certainly say he's been um, maybe not the complete player that the Packers were hoping to get when they signed Billy Turner. Yeah, and one other thing to kind of consider as we're, we're wrapping up the free agency conversation is Brian Gutekunst seemed to target players with great health track records in free agency. And to the best of my recollection, none of those four have missed an entire game. 
Yeah. I'm not totally sure, but I, I'd have to I'd have to ponder it. But it, it doesn't seem to me. I know Zadarius has been banged up a few different times, but he's always come back and played through it. Um, and I don't remember any of the rest of them missing a game, which is a nice change of pace for a Green Bay team um, who seems to have much better health overall as a unit and so um some of that is certainly good luck but some of it is just how players are made up certain people's bodies hold up better long term than others um some of that's the conditioning some of that certainly is how matt lafleur is running his team um, and his practices and and other things so um let's hope that that continues because that that will certainly make a major impact down the line and one of the, one of the things I, I think, you know, as a recap, I, you know, the Packers obviously have made this dramatic turnaround in the team and, and the guys that were already there are a big part of that, you know, Devante and Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones and, uh, the, you know, Bakhtiari and Bilaga and Lindsley and, uh, you know, Kevin King, Jair, you name it. But without the additions that they made in free agency, especially, this team wouldn't be where they are. And the draft picks, while I don't think any of them have, uh, you know, outside of Elton Jenkins, none of them have been a game changer yet. There's still a lot of season to play. Uh, we didn't even mention guy a, a guy like Kingsley Kiki, who yeah. has been a, already turned into a pretty solid rotation player um, and has the potential to make some impacts down the stretch. You mentioned Jay Sternberger. Of course, that that could really uh, add a level of, uh, well, a, a totally new dynamic to this offense. They have a, a field-stretching tight end. Um, and so there's, you know, Rashawn Gary, of course, Darnell Savage kind of coming back healthy after the bye. So there's a lot of potential for this rookie class to continue to make a difference as the free agents have sort of flipped the defense and, and caused it to do a 180. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of the defense, um, I want to kind of spring something on you here. And let's just think through this roster a little bit. On the defensive side of the ball, who do you think the candidates are to be Pro Bowl selections this year from this season? Ooh, uh, Kenny Clark, for sure. Okay. Both Smiths. Okay. People are going to hate it, but probably Blake Martinez. Ooh, he does okay. lead the league in tackles, and, okay. and that seems yeah. to Remember, we're talking Pro Bowl here, right? Right. right? right. Pro Bowl, yep. very superficial. Yep. Reputations matter. Guys with lots of tackles tend to be the linebackers <laughs> chosen. You're right. Um, I think Jair is going to make it, even though I think he's been way too inconsistent to be a Pro Bowler mm-hmm. um, on merit. But you know, the the peaks have been very good, and I I think sometimes um, people will recognize that across the league and. That that's probably as far as I can go. Yeah, maybe yeah. Adrian Newell's. Maybe. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say like I think that we're on the same page. I think uh, Jair and Martinez are kind of like maybes for me. You know, again, it's a popularity contest and see what happens. But my point in this is that I agree with you. I think it's Kenny Clark, and then I think it's the Smiths, and I think it should be the Smiths. I hope that they both get the nod, and I think that that is a huge testimony to the success of this off season that the Brian Gutekunst was able to pick up two Pro Bowl caliber players um, who are not only just maybe popularity contest winners to get into the Pro Bowl, but if they get their their ticket punched and get there, it's because they've proved it on the field. Uh, and so that would be just an you know an awesome showing for Brian Gutekunst to sign, turn two of those signings into Pro Bowl players this year. 
Yeah, and Kyle, it was kind of a stupid question because, of course, none of the Packers are going to be playing the Pro Bowl because they're going to be <laughs> the next week. You are right. It was a trick question all along. But that is all the time that we have for today. <laughs> this has been the Packaday Podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit. And you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Remember to also follow at Packaday Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast if you like what we're doing. Tomorrow's episode is going to be taking a closer look at Mike Pettin's 2019 Packers defense and how he's used some of those draft picks we talked about today and the free agent pickups um, to improve that unit. You can catch Kyle and myself every Friday, and we'll be back next week to talk key matchups and X-Factors as we get ready for that huge Week 12 matchup on Sunday Night Football with the San Francisco 49ers. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember... Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.